The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Our sermon text this morning can be found in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. If you're using one of the blue pew Bibles in front of you, that can be found on page 1014. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is the third week in our series of five sermons focused on the strategy by which we seek to accomplish our mission, which is to spread a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples through Jesus Christ. And our strategy for doing this, I'm going to keep saying this each of the five weeks, is that by the grace of God, We make disciples of Jesus Christ who gladly glorify God together in five lifelong priorities. So we're calling one another five lifelong discipleship priorities to worship, to to belong, to grow, to serve, and to go. And this, we believe, is the God-ordained means of accomplishing that mission Namely, by the multiplication of glad disciples of Jesus. I could say that another way, linking to the Great Commission. We believe that the, that the plan of God, the plan of Jesus to accomplish the Great Commission is by the multiplication of disciples through the church. And, and look at the book of Acts. I mean, that's one of those explanations for me of what did Jesus mean by the Great Commission? Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Well, what he meant is what the church did in the book of Acts. The gospel spread, called people to Christ, to worship. People gathered together as believers. They belonged to one another in churches. In those churches, the Bible was taught People were discipled in all kinds of ways, one-on-one and uh, uh, from house to house and in the temple. They grew in their, in their faith and knowledge of God and, and they ministered locally. They, or excuse me, they served one another in love and they obeyed the go of the Great Commission and, and loved their neighbors and spread the gospel to the world. So... I think we're, we're not making this up. It, it's just good old-fashioned Bible put in, um, put in uh, words that uh, seem appropriate to us right now. So two weeks ago, we focused on the discipleship priority of worship, which is where the Christian life begins. When God, by the power of the Spirit through the gospel, gives us birth new birth to to see him and worship him we become worshipers from then on into eternity and the second priority is belong and that is immediately with the new birth we belong to God and therefore we belong to one another and and uh, 
want to live out the reality of that union with Christ, union with one another in our love for each other. And then now this week is, is grow. I'm going to read the grow statement and then I'm going to pray. This is my aim from this text is to call us to a lifelong commitment to grow. Since God has given us his spirit to understand the scriptures which he's given us, let us devote ourselves to grow in the grace and knowledge of God that we might mature in Christ's likeness. So Father in heaven, help us now as we put our minds to this biblical calling that we would grow <laughs> forever, that we would grow now and tomorrow and the next day until the day that we see Christ face to face and you glorify us and we are conformed into his image and likeness. So grant us grace now, I pray, as a local church. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse one in chapter two of our text there in First Peter begins with the word so or therefore, which tells us that what Peter's talking about really is, is, a, is a conclusion based on what he's just said. So I want to give you a, a quick review of chapter one just so that we climb into our three little verses with some awareness of where he's been. So th- this is my quick summary of chapter one. Peter begins by praising God the Father for causing us to be born again. Praise God, you have caused us to be born again. And then he praises him that, that for giving us this living hope. We're born again into this living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. In, in other words, we're, we're not only born and made alive now, but we're born and made alive to this thing called eternal life. That, that we have a, a living hope that we live for. We're going we're gonna to live forever because Jesus lives forever. And, and, uh, and we're, we're moving into the consummation of our salvation. In other words, in Peter's mind, our salvation isn't just done the day we believe, but we believe and we're, we're, um, we're growing in grace and, and being saved and the day is going to come when we'll when Jesus will return and, and grant us the fullness of the grace of God and we will be in the full salvation. So it's coming. The living hope is there, but we're not there yet. And then he praises God for protecting us till that day. You know, we're saved, but we're being saved. How do we know we're going to be saved in the end? Well, uh, he's, he praises God that, he is, that God is guarding us, preserving our faith. Until that day, it's verse five. And then following that description of our salvation, praise God for causing us to be born again into a living hope, for preserving our faith, keeping us, guarding our faith until the end. Then he he gets into this brief description of how that new life impacts how we live now. And I'd summarize it like this. I mean, God the Father has given us new birth. God is our Father. And we live in accord with this new life by reflecting our Father in, in how we live. Namely, 
We turn from our sins. We live holy lives like he is holy. And we love our brothers and sisters in Christ because our Father in heaven loves his children. That's my snapshot of chapter one. And all this is because, verse 23 of chapter one, because, well, you've been born again. Not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. That's very interesting, isn't it? We've been born again through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25 says, this word is the good news that was preached in you. So that we, we receive the good news. And by the power of the spirit, we believe. And this good news, this seed of the word of God lives. <laughs> it lives inside of us. It's, it's the new heart. It's the new life. It, it, it's inside of us. Causing us to believe and preserving our faith and causing us to um, not turn from God but to walk in his ways as the new covenant describes. So Peter's coming from the miraculous thing that God has done in giving us new birth by the seed of the word of God, the gospel. So then in verse one of our text now, he says, well, so... Because of that, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Put that stuff away. That, that's old life stuff. It's, it's a lot like what the Apostle Paul says in a couple of places, one in Colossians 3, the other in Ephesians 4, where, where Paul says, this is Ephesians 4.22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life. And is corrupt through deceitful desires. And then Paul goes from that negative to the positive, but rather put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness. So that's how Paul says it. Well, Peter's doing the same thing here. In verse one, we'll put away, that's old self stuff. Malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. But then when Peter puts it positively, he puts it differently. He doesn't say put on the new self. He wasn't in the self language. He says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he puts his finger on the primary means by which we grow in faith. We are sustained in our faith. The primary means by which the new life is manifest. Where does that new self come from? Peter's saying, well, it comes from this, verses two, or actually verse two, and grounded on verse three. So I wanna look at verses two and three and just highlight three essential truths about being a Christian and living accordingly as born again children of God. Number one, you are dependent. You are dependent like a newborn infant 
<laughs> you know, I thought about this. If we were, if we were that kind of church, you know, I mean, we did, we did this a couple weeks ago. Maybe it was last week. Turn to one another and say, you're just a big baby. <laughs> you're just a big baby. Like newborn infants. Don't even say big. Like newborn infants. Peter's talking to every Christian. Every Christian, all of us, every one of us. He's not contrasting mature and immature like Hebrews 5 does. He's just talking about everybody. Like newborn infants, we are utterly dependent. We, infants, newborn infants, cannot do anything by themselves, much less feed themselves. You know, no parent in their right mind hears a baby crying and says, oh, you know, just get up and make yourself something. Utterly dependent. Likewise, those who are born of God are utterly dependent on God to sustain our new life. Point number one. Number two. You need pure spiritual milk to stay alive and to grow. The word long for, that word translated there, long for, communicates this intense personal desire. Sometimes it's used of, of, of relationships. Paul says, I long for. It's an intense personal desire. And, you know, I thought of this. Um, well, <laughs> my wife and I, along with Chuck and his wife and uh, one of the elders, um, Glenn Bloomstrom and his wife and Ellison, we're going to go to the Sing Conference in, in Nashville today. And we'll come back on Wednesday. And you've ever been on a plane when there's a, a newborn baby crying? <laughs> I'm anticipating this. Just, Lord, please, not right next to me, okay? Um, on average, newborn babies need to be fed every two to four hours. And when you hear that baby desiring <laughs> to be fed, it is strong, it is disconcerting, it is loud, and... You know why? It's because it's a matter of life and death for the baby. It's got to be fed. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, Peter leaves it unclarified. I, I mean, I think in his mind it's crystal clear, but not clear to just the literalist. You know, you, what is this milk you're talking about? Where did the milk come from? I thought you were talking about the word of God and the gospel giving us birth. And that's the answer. He is. That's, that is the milk. That is the milk. 123, First Peter. We've been born again through, through the living and abiding word. Verse 25, this word is the good news. And, and this is the milk that Peter's talking about. The word of God, the gospel, the good news. In fact, the New American Standard Bible, if you have it, inserts the, the phrase of the word, just to make that clear. The New American Standard, 1995 version, translates verse 2 with the phrase long for the pure milk of the word it's crystal clear that's what he's talking about so you think well okay we've already been born again by the word why do we need the word now 
verse 2 says, well, so that by it you may grow up into salvation. And this is that salvation begun, yet not yet complete. We are being saved. We are being sanctified. And the day is coming when we will be glorified. And, and Peter just has this sense that we're growing into salvation as we grow. And, and I love it. The day is coming when Jesus will come and bring the grace of the inheritance promised. And we will receive the full-blown consummation of our salvation. But that's not yet. So that by it we may grow up into salvation. It, it reminds me of James' words in James 1, 21, where James says, after, he, after James talked about putting off the old self, putting off our old sinful ways, he says in James 1, 21, receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive it. It's interesting. Receive what you've got inside of you. The implanted word of God by which you were born, spiritual life, new life, born again. Receive that with meekness and humility because it is able to save your souls and see to it that you end with the full consummation of your salvation promised us in Christ Jesus. So, if someone claims to be born again, but has no desire for the word, no interest in listening to God, no desire to obey Jesus' commands or hear what he says, it's, it may well be because they were not born of the word. They don't have the word implanted within. I think Jesus says something very similar when he told the parable of the sower Remember the parable of the sower? Renee preached on this a few weeks ago from Luke 8. It's also in Matthew 13. Of the sower who's sowing seed. The seed represents the word of God. And Jesus says that that seed was, that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. That's Matthew 13, 23. And it, it's alive. It indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. And then Jesus, in contrast to that, has laid out, but the seed that was sown on the hard path or the rocky soil or the weedy field is like those who hear the word of God without spiritual understanding doesn't come inside and the devil snatches the word away and uh, it falls into the rocks and it does not bear fruit and it 
falls into the weeds and the cares and deceitfulness of riches choke it out and it does not grow. Jesus is saying the same kind of thing. When the seed of the word comes with God granted understanding, the seed grows and bears fruit. So number, the third thing I want to say from this text is this. That you desire the word is owing to the fact that through the word you've tasted that the Lord is good. You see it there, right, in verse three. I'll read two and three together so it makes more sense. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. In other words, if you have tasted that the Lord is good, and surely you have because you've been born again by the living and abiding word, for which Peter's been praising God, you will long for more. You will long for more. This, this is just loaded with what we call Christian hedonism. Um, we long for the word because through the word we have tasted, tasted, experienced the goodness of the Lord. So, so like when you pick up your Bible, I mean, I hope your experience with the word, the Bible is more than I'm going to master theology here. I'm going to figure out who God is. I'm going to get it all figured out. That's one of the things I learned in seminary. You can study Isaiah 6 and not taste that the Lord is good. Study, yes, but taste. Same thing with, man, I, I just, I read my Bible this morning. I felt so terrible. I felt so convinced. I am such a rotten person. Well, the Bible will show you your sinfulness. But it doesn't stop there. Through your sinfulness, you, you see the goodness of the Lord to sinners. Christ died while we were yet sinners. He died to forgive us our sins. He didn't die to leave you in that condition of, man, am I rotten. That's a, that's a half-baked spiritual experience. And I think some people are addicted to that kind of thing. They feel really spiritual when they feel really terrible. And this text would say, don't stop there. Feel terrible. Feel rightly about your own sinfulness, but don't stay there. Move through it, through the word, into the goodness, into the goodness of God and the goodness of his commands. So, you know, if this text says, you know, you look at your Bible, why should I have, why should I study the Bible? Why should I have devotions? Why should I go to a class? Why should I? Because in the Bible, I have tasted that the Lord is good and I want good. I want more good and I want more good. I want good, 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 good. And this is, 
This is what we mean by Christian hedonism, that our ultimate good, our ultimate joy is to be found in the glory of God as he reveals himself to us and all that he promises to be for us in Christ Jesus. It's through the word that we know the goodness of the glory of God's person and his perfections. It's through the word that we know the goodness of God as creator and sovereign over all that he's created. It's through the word that we know the the attributes of God like his holiness and righteousness and justice. It's through the word that we know the goodness of the gospel, the grace of Christ, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. It's through the word that he's caused us to be born again. And it's through the word that we know he's good to us. He's a good, good father. And uh, he has done good to us in Christ Jesus now and forevermore. Like newborn babes, infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that by it you may grow into salvation if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. I mean, it seems in this verse and a few others in First Peter that Peter has in mind Psalm 34, which says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, I'm gonna close. Last July, which is two months ago, there was an article in the Atlantic magazine entitled, The Misunderstood Reasons Millions of Americans Stopped Going to Church. And that article began with with, uh, this question. What if the problem isn't that churches are asking too much of their members, but that they aren't asking nearly enough? Reminds me a little of a, there are all these church planting sayings, you know, I've worked with church planting a lot. There's all these little slogans and sayings, like little, it's like baseball. Baseball has a lot of little proverbs. Um, And one of the sayings in church planting is, if you don't give your people a hill to climb, they'll start climbing you or one another. (laughs) I'm telling you here, in this text, there is a hill to climb. There is a hill to climb. If we would grow up into salvation. Uh, Peter says this at the end of the second letter, 2 Peter 3.18. Here's the call to grow. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace, the grace, I take that to mean the grace of the gospel and all that God promises to be for us in Christ, all the promises of the new covenant. Grow in that. I mean, a year ago in the fall, we were talking about growing in grace. Grow in that, growing in grace. Grow in that. And then grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in knowing God through Christ. Got that done? Got that checked off? (laughs) 
See, see why it's a lifelong calling? And it's good. It's for the joy of us and all peoples. Reminds me of how J.I. Packer begins the, the book Knowing God. I read this book Knowing God. I was with a fishing fanatic friend of mine and he was fishing on the Apple River in Wisconsin and I was reading my book Knowing God on the shore so that I was ready to take a picture when he caught like a 39 inch muskie. So, so I'm reading Knowing God and I'm 21 years old or something and Packer begins the book Knowing God with one, two, three, four, five, five questions and I'm going to read them for you. So that you would long for the milk of the word that by which you would grow into salvation, for indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, haven't you? Here's the call to growing in the knowledge of God. Packer says, What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? Knowledge of God, for he says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, 3. Well, what is the best thing in life, bringing more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? Knowledge of God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, nor the strong man boast of his strength, nor the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. What of all the states God ever sees man in gives God the most pleasure. Knowledge of himself. Hosea 6, 6. I desired the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. There's the hill. Grow in the grace and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of God that we know through him. There, there will be no boasting. <laughs> we, we will not, this, this quest to grow in the gospel, in the knowledge of God, toward conformity, toward maturity in Christ, that there will be no boasting. I'll give you at least two reasons. One, we never get on top of it, Right? And number two, it's a corporate goal. This verse was burned into us, this, uh, and the elders were thinking about these things in the last six, seven, eight months. Colossians 1, 28, remember this? Paul says his goal is to prevent, present everyone mature in Christ. It's not an individual goal. It's that we all would grow up into salvation. We all would grow in the grace and the knowledge of God. 
uh, Paul says something similarly, in, in, but it, this is Ephesians 4, that Christ has given the church gifts, pastors, teachers, to equip the saints so that this ministry of the word would happen as we'd speak the truth to one another so that we would all attain maturity to the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. So it's interesting. I mean, the the image I get is (laughs) we're on this mission to, to grow in grace and knowledge of God toward conformity to Christ and we don't get to we don't get to rest. There's just, it's constant growing until we all get there. And we all are conformed to the image of Christ on the day when we see Jesus face to face. So there's no boasting. This is a, this is a, a calling that makes the people humble. Humble in our knowledge of God. Humble as we bring one another along. And humble as we wait for the day when, when the inheritance is made ours full and complete on the day of Christ. Another reason it's humbling is because it's really the work of God. I mean, it, it really is. You know, I thought about this. You know, I, I go to the uh, Lifetime Fitness and I think, okay, I'm going to swim. I'm going to, you know, grow in my muscles, get healthier. But this is a little different. I mean, it's a lot different. Um, I can't make myself grow spiritually. It's totally a work of grace. I could give you two texts. John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus is praying. I made known to them your name, Father. I've made your name known to them. And I will continue to make it known so that the love that you've loved me may be in them and I in them. Jesus is doing this in us. Another place, we go all over the Bible to see this. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am, but his grace to me was not without effect. I worked harder than all the rest, yet not I, but the grace of God in me. Here's the one I wanted to land on. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all believers, all of us who are born again, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, we're seeing, we're tasting of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is spirit. Let me just mention one of the implications of this priority is that as your elders, as church leaders, we are valuing um, discipleship as it takes place in various contexts. Here's how I'll say it. We're not denying the one-on-one kind of discipleship. Um, That's a helpful thing. And and yet as a church, we've really emphasized the discipleship that happens in community, in small groups. And what we're doing, we're adding to that intentionally 
the discipleship that happens in instructional settings, like classes. So, so what the shift you're going to feel or see in the classes that, that are going to be announced or that have been announced this morning, and, and I believe you can, you'll, you'll get a handout like this. Uh, somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, adults, children's, women's, different classes in addition to the small groups. There are more adult classes than we've had in recent years. Because we're trying to value that community, like small groups and mom's groups, different kinds of groups like that are really good for certain kinds of discipleship. We get to know one another and you pray for one another and you get into each other's lives and the one another commands can happen. But there's also another context for discipleship that takes place, and this is kind of one of those kind of contexts, where it's more of a learning context, an instructional context, where the teaching of the word gets more focus. And we're saying we need both of those contexts if we're going to be a church that takes discipleship seriously. So that's one of the changes that I thought I should mention Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.